Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon as always. And we were just discussing before we jumped on to record as to what this episode would be called. And in essence, we're actually talking about how do you determine what a property is worth or how much you should pay for a property? There are a number of different factors that go into this and largely this conversation sparks from a recent post in the My Millennial Money Facebook group around some confusion of vendors reserve versus a sold price versus market value, all these things that go into understanding how much you should pay. And we want to unpack quite a few pieces of the puzzle today with you so you can get a good handle on understanding what can be sort of a cowboy market at times when it comes to pricing. So hopefully you enjoy this and gain some value. If you're not part of the My Millennial Money Facebook group, please jump on in and join. That's where all the juicy gossip is. Uh, well, it's not gossip really, it's just really informative posts where you can learn things. So jump in there. But let's get into today's episode. Emily, it's an interesting topic, the one of how much should I pay for something. Uh, I want to throw it back to you. When you go shopping on your Saturday afternoons, do you pay retail or do you ask for a discount? Oh, when I actually go shopping for like clothes? Yeah, no, don't worry oh, about property for shopping. the minute. I, I mean down <laughs> Chapel Street where I see you all the time on uh, oh, Instagram. I'm doing my chapel uh, apps. Um, <laughs> are you are you asking them for your, for $50 off your, your Prada handbag? Well, I don't buy brands, but um, look, if I was going into the likes of Zara, no, I just pay what the price tag you says. Pay what the price tag says, yeah. yeah. So in real estate, are we paying what the price tag says or are we paying what we think it's worth? Because it, it's a wild world out there, isn't it? Like car yards, the same thing. And, and I can probably put them in the same category in a lot of, lot of ways where, okay, this is the advertised price. But this is what the vendor wants or what the agent thinks this is worth or what they think they'll get for the vendor. But we're coming in as the buyer saying, well, no, we actually don't think it's worth that. Um, Now, let's meet in the middle or depending on how distressed the buyer is or how quickly they want to sell or how much interest is in this particular asset as to how far we get with our discounting. It's a really interesting concept and I actually think even in the car space, right, it should be more mathematical. You have these add-ons, they equal X amount and therefore this is the price and that's just is what it is. It's kind Mm. of funny in that sense. But when it comes to property, there's so many unique variables that go into what a value proposition could be. The aspect, the street, the postcode, bedrooms, bathrooms, there's so many variables uh, that you can't really get like for like, particularly when it's like a house on land. Apartments are slightly easier in a block because you've probably got a recent sale to go off. But yeah, you're really trying to suss out like what is this worth on paper, but also what is this worth in the market we're currently dealing in, whatever that might look like. And that's why we get such a fluctuation in price across the board because it's really subjective. Yeah, it is subjective. And and yeah, you're right. There's so many factors. And, and I think 
one thing that we've always done as in, or personally as an investor myself but for, for clients is to look at the, the land per square metre rate when we're buying houses with, with land. Now, how we go about that is, well, we see what the raw land is worth, okay? What are blocks of land selling for with no house on it? it there may have been something built there previously but it's just raw land at the minute or it's new land being developed. What is that selling for price per square metre and what has it sold for? in the past to get a starting point because once you've got that starting point, you might say, well, this land's worth $2,000 a square metre in this particular uh, suburb or location. We can then say, right, what does the 1980s, I call them grandma homes where they're they're perfectly good condition but they're just old and dated, like the bathroom's Mm. old, the kitchen's old, the, the carpet's green, the walls are purple like it's just totally livable but just needs a a real refresh so what are they worth and what are they selling for in the area and then go to the top of the level that says right how much can we build something brand new or what's what's something brand new selling for in that area for that same size land and a similar size house and then go the next step and say well when we're doing like for example house and land uh, when we're looking for brand new uh, house and land, we look at what's the price per square meter that the builders are charging for their home and their inclusions. And then we can get a pretty good feel for the whole region as to what we think something is worth. An interesting factor in all of that, that we're certainly experiencing pretty much across the board is buyers placing a premium on properties that are ready to go because that price per square meter on the cost of build has significantly changed over time. And then therefore, there's potentially a perception that a renovated property that already exists can hold more value than it previously did because to do the same level of work costs people a lot more now. And so I love a price per square meter basis because it gives you a very good ballpark figure of what things should be. However, it's real estate is not a science or a mass, I should say, <laughs> like an exact mathematical yeah. if, equation. If it was, I'd be crap at it. <laughs> yeah, likewise. And actually, if it was, how much easier would it be just to be like X, Y, Z equals <laughs> yeah, this true. and this is what you pay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, so we've spoken about price per square metre. That That's our logic and, and that's our numbers and that it's just purely a mathematical equation um, in, in that sense. But then as an overlay, we've got market sentiment, how, how busy is the market, how many buyers want to buy in that particular area. We've got emotion because, as you said, something might be newly renovated, so that might push the price up in that portion of the market. And then we've got the supply-demand, how, how many properties are available and how many are looking for those same properties. And, and that's ever-changing. And those three parts of of, uh, of the search process can really confuse people because they don't understand what any of those three are doing. And you look at the price per square meter and it just doesn't add up when you, when you include those three things into it. It's actually a minefield. Like how is one supposed to, and I don't envy property valuers, like how is one supposed to actually go, this property is worth X amount, not a dollar more, not a dollar less. Like it really just is a really tricky equation to come together with. But there are some indicators that we can leverage and that our listeners can use to understand potentially how much they should be paying for a property. 
one thing I think is really important to touch on outside of the factors that you can consider in making that equation possible, the market, when we say the market, we really are talking about the people who are willing to purchase the property. That is the market that is available at the time. And we can get some real big variances in the market when a property does strike an emotional chord with people. There's an extra percentage. I don't have an exact figure, but there is certainly an emotional price tag that people play and it can skew the data at times because it could be sentimental to that buyer. They might live next door and need to buy the neighbouring house. Uh, There could be all sorts of reasons, but just keep in mind that when you see something that's a bit out of the box, there could be a reason as to why that data is slightly skewed. Yeah, and and then it comes back to how much do you want that particular property yourself, doesn't it? Like uh, I was actually looking at property yesterday and I I spoke to an agent who I, I knew reasonably well and they said, look, we've got two properties on the market here. One is an owner-occupier who is not really budging on price and the other is an investor who's got a lot of property and this one is just a transaction for them, right? Mm. Which one do you think you've got a better chance of getting a better price for? It's, it's obviously the investor that's like just wants to move them on and, and let's go and find something else in another region. So understanding also who owns the property and what's their motivation for selling and that's where you can get a discount based on the vendor and their urgency for selling or just the fact that they're less emotional than the owner rock that might be saying, right, we need to get this price so we can upgrade to a to another house. For sure. I think, yeah, understanding the importance of that sale to them. Also, there's cases where I've heard of people and we've experienced as well, winning a deal because of the settlement terms. Yeah. For some people, that's a really important factor. So, Maybe if we break it down into a couple of steps for people that are currently active in the market or will be active in the market, searching for properties and understanding, well, how do I even go about placing an offer? Now, I know, depending on what state you're in in Australia, some of you get some really good price guidance. Others, it's like stabbing in the dark. I don't know how Queensland operates. I mean, what's going on up there? (laughs) It's rogue. It is a bit rogue. But maybe let's talk about some fundamentals of understanding the market you're buying in and how you can ascertain the value. Number one thing would be going back to John's golden rule of looking at 100 properties, whether that be online or in person. You can't possibly walk into just one property and know how much it's worth if you have no reference point. How would you possibly know outside of a guide given by the agent? Is that even accurate? Is the vendor realistic? You need some solid experience and data of the listed price versus the sold price on properties you have either viewed online or inspected to get a really good handle on the value in that current market. Yeah, totally. So we presume that someone starting at that point has has already got their strategy in place. They they know oh, yes. exactly what they want. They've they they're clear on the location, uh, whether it's owner or investment. They know exactly what they want. Now it's starting to understand what they're prepared to pay for a particular item. And you and I and and anyone else who's who's doing this seriously will have a CoreLogic subscription, won't they? And, and we'll be able to go and see what's sold in the last six months that fits that particular uh, 
layout. So three bedroom, two bath, one car on 500 square metres of land, for example. You can actually see what's sold in the last six months that um, that fits that bill. Now, you can look at all those properties and say, well, yeah, okay, clearly that one's inferior in location to the other one because I know the suburb. This one here is in better condition. That's had a new renovation, whereas this one I'm looking at, it's like old grandma's home. So you start to build a picture there as to what you think this particular property is worth. You can see the, the again, core logic has a valuation estimate, which will be low, medium or high. And and I don't know about you, but I take it for a grain of salt. It's a, it's a starting point and then you need to dig a lot deeper. Just on that, when you were talking about valuation and estimations, it just sparks something that I think a lot of first timers get wrong or just don't understand. When you're provided the documentation for the property, more often than not, you're given the land tax certificate in the documentation or a rate certificate that has a capital improved value on the property. Um, So it comes from the land titles office from the valuer general. Now, this is not a valuation of what the property is worth in the market. It's done with some sophisticated numbers to understand what portion of land tax and rates are payable for that property. Sometimes I've had clients send me the rates notice and go, well, the council says it's worth X amount, so therefore I'm not paying anything more. And it's actually, that's not legit. That's not actually the value of the property. Please Uh understand that. Uh Um, It is more often than not that that figure is a very light on in comparison to what the property will actually sell for. And the person doesn't physically walk through the property and go, well, based on, you know, this dishwasher and based on this floor plan and all these inclusions, the property is worth X, Y, Z. It just doesn't happen that way. So please know that's actually not a proper valuation of the property. Yeah, that unimproved capital value, I think they they say, don't they? It's like, well, yeah, you're basically buying bare bones at that price. So yeah, um, understanding that yeah, there's just so many factors involved in it. And, and a lot of the time I say to, to clients, it's, it's actually a gut feel. It's like to know that, okay, here's three properties, not side by side, but we're putting them side by side in a spreadsheet, for example. Um, they're in the same location. They've got the same or same suburb, should I say, they've got the same layout, they're the same internal size, they're actually similar condition. Um, the the market sentiment and the supply demand is going to be same for all of them because they're in the same suburb. And it just may be that this particular one uh, feels better for you. And, and sometimes that's the one you go with. And it doesn't. It's not blasé. It's just uh, we've we've got to choose one over the other. Uh, but then looking into well, can I give the vendor uh, better conditions in my offer than the other two? Because this vendor wants a longer settlement, and I can do that sort of thing. Whereas the others want thirty days. Um, or uh, the vendor's willing to play around with price more because they're not as reliant to get an a, an exact amount for that particular sale. And that's really the next step of this process. So step one being getting a handle on the value of the surrounding properties and keeping an eye online and keeping a track of listed price versus sold price. The second step would really be understanding specific to that property, what are the, the motivations and key criteria here that will drive a good offer? On top of that, or probably partnering with that 
to a degree is understanding the competition for the property. So asking questions to the agent such as, has anyone completed a building and pest inspection on this? How many contracts have you issued for this property? Are you expecting an offer anytime soon? Uh, if you know it were to be a winning offer, what does that look like? You're not directly asking, how much should I pay for this property? You're actually just saying, for a winning offer, what does that need to look like? And that might be price, it might be terms. Um, asking the right questions of the agents in these scenarios are often the key to putting forward a really good offer for the property. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a break and then we'll come back with some final tips. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, John, the whole idea for this episode in the first place sort of sparked from myself looking at the Facebook group and there was a post in there of someone, a buyer, who'd recently been to an auction and I can't remember the quote range, I honestly can't, but let's just take some round figures. Let's say it was quoted 1 to 1.1 and it still wasn't on the market over 1.1 and then it got changed. There was no bids and it got changed to a single asking of 115, so 50K over the initial quote range. And this is in Melbourne. We have quote ranges. They're a 10% usually uh, quote range of, of value and the... Facebook member was really confused as to why this was the case or if it was even legal for an agency or a vendor to be able to do this. So first things first, we need to understand a couple of things at play. Number one is the quote range. Now, we need to ensure that any asking price or any quote range on a property is accurate. That's the first thing. And this is where you hear the term underquoting floating around in that the price that's been attached to the property is actually not reflective of what it's worth. It's been too light on and that's what an underquote is. They're undervaluing what the property really is worth. And you can only know that if you go back to step number one, which is looking yes. at the research. Then what comes into play is the vendor's reserve, also known as the price that the vendor will sell at. Often uh, this comes about in an auction. Well, a vendor must have a reserve for an auction. But what I think the general public don't understand is when the vendor went to list the property at the start of the campaign, they listed at 1 to 1.1. 1 
they might have only been expecting to get 1.1 and they would have been happy with that. But fast forward four weeks to the day of the auction, they've seen all these groups walk through, they've been told there's going to be competition by the agents and maybe in that time another sale's gone through that reflects a higher value than what they would have taken at 1.1. And all of a sudden on the day, they turn around and say to the auctioneer, you know what? We're not selling for anything less than 1.15. We're just absolutely not doing it and that's our reserve. You need to understand the agents do manage their vendors, but they do not have the ultimate say in what the vendor's reserve price is. And that's where it gets really confusing, doesn't it? It does. And and in some ways, the auction process, uh, and banks like it because it's it's completely transparent. Everyone's there on the day. They, they know who's bidding what. Uh, is a better outcome for, for everyone involved, but and more often the vendor than the than the purchaser, I, I think. But in a private treaty situation where there's no auction involved, there's no reserve as such, is there? So yeah. it, it would be great if there was a reserve, right, um, for, for full transparency to know that that's the price that the vendor wants. But it would be a boring old process because people would just come along and, and pay the, the reserve maybe. I don't know if it was a desirable um, property. But – one of the questions I often ask the agents are, what will buy this? What price mm. will buy this? And if it's if it's advertised at 700000 the agent will probably say 730 Yeah. When I'm asking that question, the, the agent's usually getting the feel of, well, is not prepared to pay what the vendor is asking, but I'll have it a, have a go anyway. It, it does determine how heated that, competition is out there when you ask that question. So have the courage to just ask that question. What what will buy this property? Don't offer what the agent says, by the way, but just simply mm. get a guide mm. of um, – and it's good practice to practice on something that you don't want to buy, right? You go yeah. out there and do some research and say, oh, I'd like that but it's not in the right location or it doesn't look nice or whatever. Go and say, say to the agent, what will buy this property this week? These are my terms, what will buy it? And you really get a feel for A, who the genuine agents are and B, what the market feel on that particular property is like. I think the key thing to understand in that process as well is that an agent works for the vendor so therefore them trying to tell the vendor they need to take less money is a really hard conversation for them to have. They might have gone in and promised them in that case, maybe they promised them I can get you seven fifty. And that's just not happening. And so it's a really difficult position to be in. However, as a buyer, one thing you can do that will help the agent to help you when you put forward your offer is to put forward without, we don't need to write an essay, but a couple of key dot points as to why your offer is at the level that it's at. What that does for the agent is it's not them directly telling the vendor, your property is not worth what you want. It's saying, here's a buyer who's documented an offer and these are the reasons why they're only offering this amount for your property. And it just helps them become a messenger Mm. rather than a person of advice saying, you need to drop your price. And it's often that the vendor will take that feedback on board, even if they don't really want to hear it. I think it's a great step to take in the in the offer process. Yeah, absolutely. And and case in point, yesterday the the agent had the honesty to tell me that the vendor wants eight fifty, and <laughs> our offer was eight oh five at that oh. stage. And uh, we 
we no longer well we don't think it's worth 850 we barely think it's worth 820 to be honest but so it that's basically a walk away now knowing that that's what the agent uh, the vendor wants however the guide is 8 to 830 that's interesting so something that people might not be aware of and this is victoria specific and i think um, that other states will probably implement this over time to create some more transparency in the real estate sector. Mm. When a property has a quote range, let's take that example, yep. 8 to 8.30, if there is an offer placed higher than the bottom of the range, so higher than 800, and that offer is formally documented, as in it's signed on a contract of sales, so it's a formal offer, and it is then rejected by the vendor, the quote range must be updated to reflect the bottom of the quote range being that offer. So the, so in that case, if you formally documented 805, technically the bottom of the quote range should be up to 805 to 830. Yep. What often happens is the general public don't know this and it's related to consumer affairs. Um, the agents just don't change the quote. And I heard of a story that left me gobsmacked from the weekend, it was a property quoted 135 to 145, pre-auction offer of 145. So at the top end, the quote wasn't changed at all prior to the auction. And I triple checked, was the offer formally documented? Yes, it was. And it wasn't changed. And it's oh. highly illegal. You actually yeah. can't do yeah. that. So it's false advertising. So be aware of the rules around offers and auctions. I think that's key to get educated yeah. so that you can know um, what's right and what's What's wrong when you're going forward for properties? Yeah, as you said, it's different in every state. But mm. in that example in Victoria, what if the range was higher? Do you know what I mean? So if, if it was like I offered 805, but the range was 8 to 850, does that change things? Doesn't matter. The bottom, if your um, offer was higher than the bottom of the quote, it has yep. to be upped. Right. Mm, yeah. There you go. Good to know. Um, for reference, it wasn't on a contract, so the, oh, okay. the agent's still okay with that. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So what I suppose we're saying is you've got to get your hands dirty. You, you've mm. got to do a lot of research around A, what you want, and then B, what's happening in the market that you're going to be buying in. And and some people just throw their hands and say, look, I'm going to outsource this and that's 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 cool. But still have some involvement and some ownership and ask the, the question to the buyer's agents as to what they're seeing and what they're feeling and price per square meter and uh, and condition and, and why you think this is better over that and, and this sold for that, why do you think that was? And stay involved even though you're not the one searching. And I think if you are riding solo, I would put it back on the agents a lot. Like, you know, this property's quoted up to a mil. Why is that? What plays into that value? What are, what are you seeing in the market that makes it worth a million? And they'll reel off examples, particularly what I do love about agents is a lot of them are area specific and postcode specific. So they really know like every sale, regardless of them selling it, they know every sale in the area and particularly also off markets, which you might not be able to find uh, if you don't have core logic. So just put it back on them. Like why is the vendor asking a million? What justifies that price? And just let them talk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you've done all that. You've been a, a model student of the game. You've, you've understood the market sentiment. You've, you've worked out the emotion and the emotional type properties that are selling maybe higher than the 
than the norm and you understand the supply demand it's it's just then purely a, a numbers game to take that next step isn't it to to start putting in offers and and we spoke in the previous episode about having conditions in in your offers all the time and and then just making sure you've got a good team of people in your corner with your mortgage broker and your conveyancer. And understanding your absolute walk away on it. I understand that for some people, the emotional draw card does add that little extra percentage that, you know, logically, maybe it's worth 800, but we're going to go up to 810 because you really want this one. Understand your walk away, not only in an offer setting, but in an auction setting. Just last weekend, a couple were making a decision at the pointy end. Oh, do we do another five? Do we? Don't we? Like, don't make that decision in the auction. You no. should know what your limit is well ahead of stepping into that arena. It baffles me that people make those decisions in the moment because they are full of emotion mm-hmm. and that's what sees properties go well beyond expectations because they just get caught up in the yes. the flurry of bidding. But really commit, particularly when you're buying with someone, a partner, a sister, a family member, commit to the maximum before you have to make the call on what is your hard limit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in in rounding all this out, I've got a task for everyone listening. Oh, homework. When you're next when you're next going shopping, <laughs> doesn't have to be Chapel Street or Burke Street or wherever else, ask for a discount. Doesn't matter what it is, just say what's your best price on this? And then pause. And don't say anything else and stand there. And interesting to see what comes back the other way because that's your starting point for negotiation with anything that you're buying out there. And it's the wholesale versus retail, right? Uh, Mm. We're not in the game of ripping someone off or or just it's all take, take, take. There's got to be a win-win for everyone, right? But if you can both find that happy medium together and in real estate's example, vendor and, and purchaser, then everyone wins, right? So just know what you're prepared to pay for something, but just you've got to go out there and practice those words or or practice that style of play so that you're really comfortable with it when it comes to the big ticket items like uh, purchasing residential real estate. I'm actually am going shopping this afternoon, John, so oh, I'll report man. back. There you go. Yeah. Can, can you let me know? Got to find an outfit for dinner, so. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything dinner to wear, tonight. obviously. No, I don't know, on the weekend. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and just on that, Emily is all over Instagram, if you haven't noticed. So, <laughs> I'll take I, you shopping with me if you're on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, we, I get updated on your life constantly. I, I, I saw no less than 10 reels on your Instagram the other day and I'm like, wow. this. We're pumping the socials. And TikTok. Oh, my goodness. We've entered TikTok. TikTok. And I just don't know how to deal with the comments. They're so brutal. Are they? Wow. Yeah, people have no filter on TikTok. It's about to get banned anyway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> any case, if you need any further assistance, hit Emily up on Instagram. <laughs> if you want to know what my life actually is like behind the scenes of the podcast, then. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you've got some benefit from that. As always, thank you for tuning in today. If you've got anything that you want discussed on the podcast, feel free to reach out to us and also just put it on the Facebook group at My Millennial Money. If you need any assistance with anything, jump on to sortyourmoneyout.com.au, get help, something like that. Just Google it. The link's in the bottom. (laughs) The link is in the bottom. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, Enjoy your day and we'll chat soon. Until next time. 
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.